Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 20 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP4. This week on TWIP, the Boston bombings reinforce the importance of great photojournalism, the Kentucky Derby bans all interchangeable lens cameras, and Beyonce tells pro photographers to look for other work. It's Wednesday, April 24th, 2013, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into the Boston bombings and how that that particular event reinforced the importance of just making great photos and capturing events and photojournalism in general. And specifically, when these types of things happen, as we know they're going to happen again across the globe, how do we as photographers best position ourselves so that we are in the mindset to get the right image. So we're going to talk to, to our panel of co-hosts about that. Also, the conduct, the Kentucky Derby has banned all interchangeable lens cameras. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. And also talking about banning photographers, the artist Beyonce has issued a note to photographers, or actually pro photographers, saying... Yeah, not so much at her concerts. She doesn't want any of us uh, photographers taking pictures at her concerts because apparently, you know, we took some photos that don't look good. So we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. This is going to be a really interesting show. So joining me to discuss all of this stuff and lots more are Mr. Doug Kay and Mr. Dan Ablin. Hey, guys. How you doing? All right. You see that, that intro. This is crazy this is going to be an interesting show so let, let's start with you doug um where have you been what are you up to uh i've been mostly busy teaching some advanced photoshop class photoshop classes photofox of course and uh, as promised i recently published my reviews comparing the sony nex6 and nex7 and a slew of sony lenses oh Interesting. How come that's not in the notes? We need to talk about well, that. Well, well, we'll we'll put the links in the show notes for everyone to find. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit, so I'm going to add that. Okay. All right. Um, and Dan Ablin, what are you been up to? I am. Uh, well, just got back from uh, Italy and uh, bought a D600 versus a D800 for the trip, which I can talk about, and I have some reasons why. And uh, now that we're back, we got some exciting things happening at the studio, which we'll talk about later, and uh, just. Doing some video animation work and teaching 3D and photography, kind of mixing those together in some of these classes I'm teaching. So, excellent. So, okay, quickly, why why the D600 or D800? Other than you didn't want to be generating massive library of size, Congress size files. It was cheaper. Shot. No, it was, <laughs> it was cheaper. cheaper. So no, it was just uh, price, really? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of all of it, really. It was, um, you know, I tested out both, and 24 megapixels was great versus the 12 on my D3. Mm -hmm. The it was very light. Um, really good size to travel with. Although I brought a 24 to 72 8, which kind of weighed it down, but it was worth it. And uh, the file sizes on 800 are just so massive. Love the camera, but just uh, for 1,300 photos that I took, you know, I went through like like 100 
don't know how many gigs I went through, but uh, I had probably about 10 eight gig cards, and I think I filled most of them. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So it worked out tr- tremendously. It was a great camera. Wow. So what, what did you? So what was the trip for? Was it a business trip? Uh, no, it was not a business trip at all. So now that I'm back, I've got my my rings back under my eyes. But uh, <laughs> our daughter's choir was singing at the Vatican uh, for her high school. Oh, so cool. Yeah, 120 kids from the high school went, and we were just part of the quote unquote fan tour. Um, they got to go along. It was about 10 parents. And, uh, man, they worked us from, like, 6, 7 a.m. all the way through, like, 10 at night. The kids sang throughout Italy at the Vatican, at St. Peter's, um, a couple of mountain towns in Tuscany. Uh, they sang in Padua. We actually stopped in Dublin. They sang there. And um, I mean, we saw Siena and Luca and Pisa and Montecatini and Rome. And it was, wow. it was 10 days. It was just nonstop, but it was it was tremendous. So That's amazing. Yeah. So any anything that you – didn't bring that you'd wish you'd brought when, when you uh, you know, packed your camera bag? Better shoes. What's and that? A Sherpa. A Sherpa. Better, oh, <laughs> better shoes. No, I was I was thrilled. I almost brought a uh, just I was just gonna bring a fifty one four, just nice and light. And uh, my wife was like, you know, you really sure you want to? You know, I said, all right, I'll drag the twenty four seventy, and it was perfect. Um, yeah, I did did not regret bringing that setup at all. It fit right in my little travel bag, so nobody knew I had it. I could pull it out easily. Um, one of the churches in Padua, where St. Anthony's tomb is, you're not supposed to photograph, which I did. Um, but I could do it very cleverly, just kind of, you know, resting it on my bag like this and walking around and click, click, you know, and put that silent mode on. Yeah. Um, the ISO was great inside all the basilicas. And um, just really loaded up my memory cards and, you know, brought one of these. And the biggest thing I would say was really being organized. So I labeled each one of the memory cards, one through 10 or 20, whatever I had. And when one and two were done, I knew I'd be three and four. So when I'm searching for a memory card, whatever I'm on, I shoot the next one. And if I know that the numbers before that are not there, that those are full. And it just so I wasn't shuffling cards and uh, worked out great. No, no issues, thankfully. That's great. So, you know, as as the listeners know, if they listen to the previous shows, I I have been on the fence about uh, a new either, you know, APS-C sized camera or sensor mm-hmm. or uh, or a micro four thirds and I pulled the trigger today. What'd you get? What'd you get? Yeah. Well, I didn't get it yet. I put it on order, so you could probably guess which one I had to get. Eight <laughs> hundred. Uh no 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 I got so it was between the Olympus OMD right and the um the Fuji X100S. Oh. So drumroll please. Would... Drumroll please. I ended up putting a deposit down at Sammy's Camera in San Francisco on the Fuji X100S. Nice. Ooh, interesting. Very nice. X100S. And here's my here's my mindset. Here's my reasoning. So you know, I own a you know I own a bunch of DSLRs um, and lenses, so I'm you know I'm firmly planted in the Nikon world of interchangeable lenses, the Nikon CLS system. You know, I got SB 900s up the wall. Well, I got a couple. I got three. So I'm set there on that stuff. So my concern was, even though the Olympus looks like an amazing system and it will allow me to do things that I can't do with the Nikon. I'm buying into another system that would force me to get more lenses and add more complexity, thus reducing the sort of uh, the, my willingness to even go shoot because it's like, okay, 
analysis paralysis. What do I take? Do I take the Olympus today? Do I take the Nikon? You know, and then which lenses? So what I decided to do was just take along or just create or, or create the option of something between the iPhone, better than the iPhone, mm-hmm. but less than my DSLR. So if I'm doing a full-on model shoot and all that, okay, I'm going to bring a kit, my Nikon kit. But every day that I go jump in the car, I can bring this camera with me, you know, nice. and it'll just, and that's it. And it'll, it'll, you know, the, the, the whole idea of forcing you to do more with less. So it has one lens on it. It's not changeable. It's smart. It's high resolution. I can be more of a photographer is my mindset with this thing than I would if I bought another system and started that new train of gear lust. Mm-hmm. So, that was my mindset, you know. I oscillated back and forth for about three weeks because <laughs> I had, you know, I had right now still in my Amazon cart is the Olympus with the, with the lens and, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to buy it because it's on Prime, too. I could have had it today for the show. If one, I click, one click. <laughs> one click. One so click. Oh, oh. So I, could, I didn't do it. I went with, the, went with the Fuji, and we'll see. We'll see. You know, right. and, and, and someone was telling me it's – it's not a one-way street, right? So if I get this thing and I decide it's too inflexible for me, then mm. you know I can always go back. The but one did thing, you did you rent first? I didn't rent first. Okay. I didn't rent. I, I should have. We, we need to talk, Frederick. We, we need talked. To talk. We talked, Dad, and I didn't take your advice. <laughs> so, but but the thing is that I'm sort of still regretting is I'm going to go on this trip. A lot of people, you know, have heard that I'm I'm going to take this trip to Korea soon. And I don't want to take a giant DSLR kit with all those lenses, right. which is why I was thinking Olympus OMD. It's light, it's small, it's nimble. I can travel. I'll have the flexibility to capture whatever I want. Not so much with the Fuji. So I'm kind of back in the same boat, <laughs> boat there. But uh, I don't know. What's that? What are you holding up, Doug? And remember, this is an audio podcast. Yeah, this is. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I've been through the same thing. I looked at the OMD. Uh, I looked at two of the Fujis. Um, and the Sony NEX6 and NEX7, and I'm sticking with the NEX7. And I'm going. I'm taking a taking a trip to Turkey, and I'm taking four lenses that all fit in pockets. Wow. Okay. Okay. So tell us about that. Tell us about the NEX6 and a, or give me a preview of the article that you wrote. I mean, all right. Well, it, put a, a deep dive at the article. Bottom line: If I had to buy them today, I would buy the NEX6, not the seven. Um, I would save the $400 and get the better autofocus system. Uh, if I could wait a month, I'd probably buy the supposed uh, upgrade to the NEX7 that I hope will have all the best of both. Um, but uh, the the 6 was a great camera. I shot with it for a week and loved everything about it. So, Dan, Dan, what do you have to say about my choice? You just got back from your trip. Yeah. Um, what What do you have to say about that? Should I Should no, I, have I opted for the Olympus, or am well, I good to go with the Fuji? You know, it's interesting. You know, going from for me all these years with Canon, all the way up through Nikon and switching over. You know, and even when our when our daughter was little, and I go to the school, you know, and everybody's there, kind of taking their pictures. I don't do it with sports or cars or anything else. But when the camera comes, I had to bring the D three with the seventy to two hundred. Just you know. Just to kind of had a man up at school just to show off a little. Mm-hmm. But honestly, with the trip, kinda, I didn't care. Kind of like that mic that's hanging in the frame right there, right? What, this one? <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> All right, sorry. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Not drinking today. All right. And uh, honestly, this was all about the best possible image and the, and the most compact, most flexible. 
and uh, I'm just really happy with choice. It was a little heavy with that 24 to 70 on there, but the image quality is great. We've already blown some up to 24 inches that we're donating to a church here here that raised some money for the kids, mm-hmm. um, and it's got our name on it. We also What I also did with the two card slots is I shot HD video throughout, and I've already made a video, and we're going to release a book. We're selling a book for the, for the school um, and putting a DVD on there, and one of the videos, um, there's a couple of videos on there, but... I set up the camera to record HD video to one card and then everything else went to the other card for photos. And it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, so I don't regret it at all, but I do, I, when I travel and I'm not traveling for photography, um, I've got, I've always kept a, like a deluxe three, a little Leica. Oh yeah. I've yeah. had that one. Yeah. Um, and I've even got a, I have a little Nikon S9300 too, a little pocket yeah. camera. So I'm yeah, all about I've that. Been in, I've been in this market or the, for, for maybe a year plus, maybe a couple of years now to get a smaller camera or actually yeah. to upgrade my Canon G9, which is still great. That's a great so, camera. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, and I'm not getting rid of it. I'm going to keep it, but uh, I wanted something a little bit more current, a little bit more powerful, faster autofocus and all that. And, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to with this Fuji is the whole idea of being able to go out and shoot and not being a photographer. You know, right. I don't, I don't want, you know, I'm looking forward to people not walking up to me and saying, wow, that's a nice camera. It must take great photos. <laughs> well, you know, and here's something else too. And this came up, we talked about this in one of the shows before about traveling with this camera. Now I'm, I'm in Venice or somewhere, which is, I guess, relatively safe. Florence was not as safe. Um, here's these guys. I saw one guy, like saw him a block away, big Nikon D4 strap. I'm like, $6,000 on a shoulder before Target. the lens. Target, yeah. You know, and these little cameras, because the cameras are great. It's always been about the lenses. The lenses were never enough. And now, like, the XE1 I'm looking at over here, um, you know, and the NEX7 and 6, now they're starting to put those optics in, which they're not as big as my 24 to 70, but yeah. they're not just the little pocket lenses either. And I think it's going to be this nice blend that now I've got to spend more money. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Doug, <laughs> Doug, what would you say? You're the you're the gear man, right? So, what would you say on on my choice, OMD or Olympus OMD versus Fuji? Well, I tested the older uh, X100 and X1 Pro. Didn't like them too much, but the 100s could be quite an improvement. So, I, I hope it's good for you. I just okay. found them a little, a little too weird. You didn't you didn't like the why? Did, what didn't you like about the X100? Uh, I, it was just too strange for me. So you mean the rangefinderness of it? Yeah. Well, I have to use. I like looking through lenses. Okay. I like looking through a lens. I don't yeah. like rangefinder that much. I don't like. I can't shoot through the back of the camera. I'm too nearsighted. I have to, you know, hold oh, up okay. out like this, right? So it's an ergonomic um, thing for you. Yeah, yeah for I, me, I get that. Yeah, no, I got, I got, I got ra- radio images from it. I what I like about your, uh, what I like about your choice is the logic you use, which is here's a camera that has one lens. You can't change the lens. Uh, you're forcing yourself into a, a a way of using the camera, and I think you're going to be very successful with that. Yeah. I think the fact that it's so different from your Nikon's is what you're going to end up appreciating about it. I take the Sony's out, for example, and if I go out with one lens, like if I I was lucky enough to have on rent the um, the Zeiss 24 f1.8, mm-hmm. and one day I went out with just that lens. I didn't take any other lenses, so I had similar to what you're doing, and it was one of my best days. But yeah. I tend to I tend to take too much gear, you know. Well, you know, I had the I had the devil and the angel sitting on my shoulder, you know. One was Olympus, one was Fuji. You can figure out, you know, which was which. But the one that was telling me to get the Olympus 
was saying, well, hey, your mindset around that Fuji, it's understandable, Frederick, but you could get the Olympus and just put one lens on it and be and be done, and it's the same thing. <laughs> you know, all, all prices work. prices notwithstanding, you know. But I'm like, it, just don't take the lens off, and it's the same as the other camera. Why not? I, just do I that? started that way. I now have three lenses for my Sony, <laughs> and I'm thinking of a fourth. So that would be I, me. Exactly. that's exactly the problem. So you, I think I think you'll be happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, thanks, you guys. You validated me, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna renege on my deposit at Sammy's camera. <laughs> no, make just see some shots from it. I know. That's next. That's next. Um, I was going to try to do a model shoot with that. Can you imagine that? Just like the whole thing with just pretty a pretty little, cool. little camera. All right. We'll see. All right, guys. So the, the first thing. Oh, before we jump into the news, um, Scott Bourne, um, the godfather, or the I guess Rick Salmon would be the godfather. Scott Bourne would be <laughs> He's a the father. He's... Uh, he, the father of TWIP. Yeah, Scott, Bourne would, be, yeah. Scott Bourne would be the, the godmother. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He has a lot of followers, you know. Scott, you sink Scott, your ship. Scott's, <laughs> I, I'm in trouble with Scott already. I can tell. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so I, you know, I I mentioned before to you guys that I sit on the board um, down at Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara. So we invited Scott to come down to um, give the commencement speech to this this year's graduating class of I think it was 107 brand new minted photographers and a couple of graphic designers that walked across the stage. But uh, before that, they, Scott gave them a, a nice, you know, win, for, win one for the Gipper type speech, and it was, you know, met with roaring applause. So thank you, Scott Bourne, for coming out and doing that. And uh, we're going to, we recorded it, I believe, so we're at least going to try to get the audio, when I say we, the school, at least going to try to get the audio online for folks to check out to listen to Scott do his thing live in front of the school, so... It was interesting. It was interesting to see Scott up there. This is the first time I ever saw him speak in person, you know, live like that to a crowd. He did amazingly well. He's a good speaker. Yeah, I saw him at uh, WPPI a few years ago and got to talk with him. And Yeah, he's yeah. a good guy. Yeah, he did a good job. So congratulations, Scott Bourne. And, you know, we, we hung out afterwards, myself, Scott, and Ron Brinkman, uh, who drove up from Hermosa in his brand-new Tesla yeah, what, what, what is he doing to get a Tesla? I got, I'm doing something wrong here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But he got oh, one. More books than me, I guess. He, yeah, exactly. He got one, and he let me. He let both Scott and I drive it. I know this is not photography related, except for the fact that it has a 17 inch display in there. But that car is the fastest vehicle. I've ever been in that has four wheels. Now I've ridden sport motorcycles before, which have you know instant pickup, but that thing is like a golf cart with a rocket engine strapped to it. It's insanely <laughs> fast. It's insane and quiet and quiet. So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited that I'm going to get one of those in the next decade, hopefully. <laughs> nice. So we'll see. Just get right, the version of one has only one lens. <laughs> only one lens. Yeah, well, it only has one gear, right? So, right. It's, you know, it's still keeping yeah. in that vein of simplicity. Um, all right, guys, let's jump into the, the first story. I'm feeling we'll probably only get through two of these stories today, but they're good stories. Uh, the first one is about the Boston bombings, and you know we're, we've been beaten to death in the media about this event, which was horrific, happened over a week ago in Boston, where two brothers um, essentially set off some bombs during that insanely populated area of the Boston Marathon, uh, killing... Um, people and maiming several people. So the whole thing 
was just a horrific tragedy and kind of captivated the minds of the world for a while, even up to until now. And what I wanted to talk about on the show was just the role of we as photographers when something like that happens. Of course, the first the first goal, of course, is safety, right? So above all else is safety of you and the people around you and all that. But then the second goal becomes documenting documenting things, especially if you're running around with, you know, Doug, with your one of your NEXs or your Nikon, uh, Dan, and you're in the mix there, what do you do? Do you go into photojournalist mode? And if you're in photojournalist mode, what do you do? Do you just start snapping things, or what do you take pictures of? Doug, I want to throw it to you first. What if you're in an environment? Not that, let's just you know, sort of abstract it away from Boston. You're in an environment where something substantial happens where you know that it's important that this thing is recorded somehow for posterity whether it be for legal reasons or or maybe it's a celebrity whatever what do you do what's what's in your mind that says okay these this is my checklist of things i need to do it's an interesting problem um you know i when i first got out of film school i won't say how long ago that was but uh i worked for nbc for a year on a news crew and um you know, we didn't cover anything quite this dramatic, obviously, and certainly we wasn't a matter of being on the scene right when something happened. But I think the, uh, I think whether you're a professional or an amateur, if you're a serious photographer, I do think there's an instinct that says capture the story. Uh, and um, well, what's that story? A, a logical story has a, well, you a don't beginning, know. a middle, and an end. Yeah, you don't know what the story. I mean, here, here's a more typical example that maybe people have come across. Uh, you know, you're 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 driving down the road, and right in front of you, there's a car accident, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some people are hurt. You get out of the car. You want to offer assistance. You want to make sure people are okay. You want to call somebody for help. You know, do you take your camera out of the car with you? You know, if you've got it with you, you know, what, right. what do you do? Is this, is this something that's newsworthy? Um, and, you know, I've done that. I, I've come across an accident and taken pictures of it. And, and I said, gee, what are you doing, Doug? Are you crazy? Are you, are you creepy? Are you weird? Um, but I, uh, the one time I did it, it was something that was local. And, you know, I knew people at the local paper would be interested in it. And, um uh, I'm, I'm glad I took them, but you know, I felt a little strange about it, and the people around me thought I was pretty weird too. But, but I you did. made sure it wasn't. There weren't people that were injured in the car, and you're like, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, no. let me get a shot of you before I pull you out of the wreckage." No, I was I was with my wife and my son, and uh, you know, you know, uh, my son called nine one one, and I went yeah. and helped the people, and but I did take pictures of the scene. Very cool. You know? now, now, Dan, what what about you? You're you're in the same situation. Something happens. What are you? I mean, we're all humans before right. we're photographers, right? So of course, Not abstracting. The, well, okay. Well, there's some people. But okay, abstracting that out of it. You're. What do you do if everyone's okay? Let's assume that this okay. is not a situation where you need to apply CPR or anything like that. What do you do um, to document it? Well, I definitely agree with with everything Doug said. Um, you, you know, I went to school for photojournalism. When I got out, I worked for a CBS affiliate, mm-hmm. and not shooting photography, I shot video. Um, so I'd go out on the calls and I was shooting the accidents as they happened. And legally that's what we were supposed to do. But, um, clearly, you know, a regular every day, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't think about taking photos if it were just a small event. If I was there 
in this event, um, I absolutely would be running around with my camera. And I'm reading some of the comments here that, you know, we'd put on our notes that how that camera kind of shields you from, you know, what's unfolding in a way. Oh, yeah. Uh, kind of protects you. And I, I believe that it's instinct. And for me, it's, I'm not thinking about it. I'm just going for a powerful image. Mm-hmm. And it might sound kind of opportunistic, but you're a photographer. So, um, that, that's kind of how I look at it, that you want to make powerful images. You want, you want a document. You're not consciously thinking about all those things. It just kind of kicks into gear. And that's coming from, you know, when I used to work in, in broadcast news and, um, I got to tell you though, after a few months of doing that, shooting those accidents and seeing quite a few things, I, I was having some trouble sleeping because that was every day. You know, you go from the boring, um, council meetings to then these crazy car accidents and, things like that it uh it catches up with you so it will it will and i'll tell you in the military it's for me shooting the you're right you guys are both absolutely right the camera is a shield yeah. that that i don't know it's like something in your head switches to think it does you know what's what's on the other side of this is not real anyway you know so i'm just i'm right. i'm taking pictures and you know it's real i mean every all your other senses are working so you know everything's real but by the viewfinder acts as sort of a buffer, a reality buffer that allows you to do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Yeah, well, also, once, once, once the camera goes up to your eye, you know, you have a mission, and uh, yeah. it, it does sort of take over. Uh, and that's why, you know, you sort of have to deal with the... I mean, let's talk about the bombing, though, for a second, because yeah. this, this guy who, who got a Pulitzer, uh, yeah, you know, he, course, got, yeah. he got his first shot 15 seconds after the explosion. So he had the interesting challenge that you know, obviously there were people who were in need of help at that point. There were people who had serious bleeding and so forth. On the other hand, there were a lot of first responders there right away. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I don't mean to criticize him. I think he did a good job. I think he made the right call. Um, but it's, you know, you get to a point where you deal with the situation as a non-photographer. But once you say I'm in photographer mode, that sort of takes over. Right. No, no, absolutely. And when you go into photographer mode, there's other things that you need to, you can only think about so many things at once, right? So if you're thinking about exposure, you know, bokeh, uh, mm-hmm. the the composition of the image and storytelling and all that stuff going on in your head, the image in front of you is almost secondary to to the the technicalities or the technical of getting the right image, especially if the power the the pressure is on you that you need to come back with the right images because this is an event that's not going to happen again, and I'm a photographer and if I come back with with crappy shots, then it's going to impact me. So there's a lot of different forces at work when you pull that camera up to your face. Yeah, and you but you know that you know I I know that there's longtime pros that have to shoot manual and mm-hmm. programs for beginners. Blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, maybe if you're in the studio, you're out there, set it to program or aperture priority and just go to town. Don't even worry about it because getting the shot's the most important thing. Is that what you is that what you do in this kind of running gun situation? I would. So you know what? I'm not I'm not gonna try to be creative here. No. Automatic P. Go into P and just go make sure that you got an exposure regardless. Is that what yeah. you do, Dan? Okay. What I, about you? I absolutely Doug? would. Yeah. Yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd go full automatic. Yeah. And uh and just, you know, worry about the composition. I I do think that you know, in that situation, you do have the time actually to think about the story even when things are happening very quickly. You know, you do have the moment, you do have the time to think about you know, an establishing shot and, and tighter shots and things sure. like that. Um But go go over but that it, for the for the people that don't know those those big sort of 
you know, wide swaths of story making? What are the major blocks that people need to pay attention to? Well, you know, the first thing is an establishing shot. I mean, this is from cinema, really, where you get a, a wide shot that shows as much of the scene as possible. It tells the story generally. And then you sort of work your way in closer and closer to get more and more detail, whether it's, you know, two shots, one shots, close-ups, whatever it is. Uh, and you, you tell the story sort of from the outside in. That's typically the way you shoot it. Um, and it's similar to, I, I relate it to people who shoot weddings. You know, they have a bunch of shots that they have to get. Yeah. And they, they get those out of the way as soon as possible, and then they go for stuff that's a little riskier, more experimental, and so forth. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you get if you cover an event, you know, and you get back, uh, you know, Dan's talking about shooting video. We used to shoot 16-millimeter film, so that'll give you a clue. Uh, <laughs> Three-quarter three inch, so. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, did you have to carry that on your back, too? I did, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. The big Ikigami 79A. Oh, no. No, no, all right. We just yeah. we just had uh, age ourselves. We just had the little sixteen millimeter stuff. It was much nicer, but four hundred feet at a time. Oh. Um, anyway, you know, if you get back and you know you don't have the, if you don't have the establishing shots, your editor is going to be pretty unhappy. Yeah, and I think too after I'm sorry, Fred. After after it all unfolds and you get just what you see, you know, and take this and take that. After a moment, you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of that is going to just be a little bit the same thing over and over and you do have a moment to think and then maybe you could take some you know creative How, shots. what what rules come into play or suggestions come into play in one of these situations for example like doug you're leading photo walks and i know when you're leading a photo walk some of the advice that you might give would be okay pick a pick a, a certain topic i know when i lead i might say okay pick something like i'm going to shoot all red things today or i'm going to go all shit doorknobs today is my topic i'm going to do that does any of that come into play when you're shooting these kinds of events like okay uh i can't shoot everything that's going on here so i'm going to concentrate on people that were injured or i'm going to concentrate on the emotion today i want to get people i want to capture the emotion of the day rather than try to capture everything at once and fail would that well, would that make sense i mean there are two there are two things there one is on one hand, you're doing documentary photography. Yeah. Um, well, they're really not separate. But the fact is that in photojournalism, you are there to tell a story. Um, and everything has to work towards telling a story. Um, so, you know, you, you don't, nothing artsy is going to make it on the 6 o'clock news. Um, that's, that's, first of all, there's no time and who cares about that. So, but that's in your head from the beginning. You know right away, you know, you've, you're there, you've got, your job is to interpret this for a viewer. A viewer who's not there, who can't smell or hear really what you're smelling and hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't see the peripheral vision. They're getting whatever's in your little rectangle and you have the responsibility to tell a story, but you learn that right away. You know, that's, okay, so, you know, you've, you've done it, Frederick. You know what I'm I talking have. about. Okay, yeah. let's, let's switch gears then. Okay, so, We've talked about still imagery, you know, still imagery. We haven't really talked about videography, but you know, we'll say that we image capture, we've talked about that. What about the whole the whole idea of multimediography in an event like this? Are you are do you, all of our cameras presumably or most of them can capture video. When something like this is going down, do you concentrate on just capturing still photos or are you flicking into video mode and let me capture a couple of, you know, I want to get this cop helping this lady. Okay, now I'm back in the still mode. Let me take some stills. Or let me record audio with my iPhone. You know, do you should people be thinking in the mindset of I'm going to capture mini media, not just still photography at these these kind of things? 
Dan, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. All right. I think it really depends on the person. Um, you know, if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it for a blog, if you're really working for a news agency, you have some uh, initiatives, of course. But if you don't work for anybody, what if you're just a random citizen that happens to, happen to have your Fuji X100S with you and something goes <laughs> down, you know, what do you, should I be, ca- if I was there, should I be capturing audio, video, and stills? That's that's your instinct. You know, for me, with, uh, you know, when, with digital SLRs that, that shoot video, that's not my first priority with that type of camera. So, give an example, not that it, you know, it was just a, a trip, but but with Italy, I was there to shoot photos, and then there was a moment I swapped over to uh, video and got you know clips that I knew I was going to edit together later, and then went back yeah. to photos. So that's how I would approach it because that's that's my primary. Um, somebody else they might buy you know uh, a Canon 5D for the mm-hmm. video. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it depends on the instinct of the person. Doug, what do you, what do you say that multi well, multimedia or pick you know I and write it? I sort of have purposely got away from motion pictures on purpose, but I was in uh, Egypt two years ago when the revolution started in Tahrir Square. Mm -hmm. And um, because I was in a hotel looking down on the square and it was nighttime, I I had a D7000, it was a brand new camera for me, and I I decided to shoot video and I said I'd never never used video on the camera, so I had to figure it out right then and there, but uh, had I been down on the street, I probably would have shot in stills. Interesting. You know, it's like Dan's right. It's you know whatever, whatever drives you to take the picture. You know, if you in this case there there was a lot of sound um, that was very important. What about what about say the event's over? You know, you've got you know you you've done your job. You've got a bunch of nice images. um, You've covered the thing. You told the story. Now what? Yeah, and again, this is citizen journalism here, right? You're just a guy. Do you? Post the images online. Do you go offer them to a news agency? What do you do after the, after the thing is over? They're in Lightroom or Aperture. For me, I would. I, it depends on the images and what kind of connections I have. But yeah, I absolutely would try and get them up uh, on a news agency. Um, and how do you do that? I mean, if, like, what is what's the flow? Because I've never I've never shot something and like, okay, this is a great shot of X Y Z happening. I need to make sure the world sees this. I mean, I could put it on you know, one of my websites or something, and, you know, it, it would be seen there. But if I wanted to get it into a news agency, do I go to their website? Do I call them up? Do you, know, how do you, well, what's the pipeline there? I, th- I think you do. I haven't done it that way. Um, just, we know somebody here at the Chicago NBC affiliate, so I would just make So you have a connection, mind. though. I have a connection, know? yeah. So if you're in the Chicago area, something goes down, <laughs> just contact Dan Adler, <laughs> and he can be your pipeline. I know a couple people, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe somebody out there can chime in on on that has done that is because they do have these eye reporters. You know, how do they? That could be that could be a good talk for a show because uh, I've not explored that. Yeah, Doug, do you have any insight into that? Like, once you get the shot, uh, get it it's it's really easy. You can go to Associated Press. You can contact them online. Uh, they make it really easy to find their bureaus, their staff, um, and uh, and so forth. So. I've never done it, but it's it's very easy to do. You know, you have to, you have to decide who you want to try and sell it to. Yeah. And you're not going to make a ton of money either. No, no. With, what's, what's but the other thing is, if you're, money, also, if, if, you, if you're doing something on the street, um, if it's local, you also know the local stations for television and so forth, and those are probably your best outlets. So, Dan, you said you're not going to make a ton of money. What's what's well, what's, a, you know, what's a ton of money? Five thousand, five hundred, fifty. In nineteenth, I, I honestly don't know, but I, I know it's it's minimal like that. Um, 
1979, when, I don't know why I know this, Flight 191 crashed in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember coming home from school. My grandfather was in town. We were watching the news, and some guy captured a photo of it. Um, and there's a plane, you know, it just, it, when the engine dropped, it was sideways over O'Hare Airport. And um, I do remember that he sold that roll of film for a lot of money. But those days are gone because, you know, everybody's got, there's footage everywhere. And it was one of our talking points here, how interesting it was, social media and how all the agencies on television, uh, news on the web, were reaching out to everybody. Let's see your photos. Let's see your videos. Because we know we can find some some clues with everything that's out there, and sure enough, they did. It's like one giant yeah. neural net right now. Right? You know, now now what I would do, especially I wouldn't have thought of this before the boss Boston bombings, but I would probably put my photo on Twitter. I would first figure out what hashtags yeah. were hot right then. Just put on the popular, the most popular two or three hashtags. Put up my photo and see what happens. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I, I, there's uh, there's not. There's no point in thinking about making money from this. Right, right. That's what I was going to say, because I'm glad you segued into that, because that then it becomes, a lot of listeners are going to say, okay, well, then it's subject to Twitter's terms of service, and it becomes a Twitter image at that point. What happens to the photographer? Because you at least want to get some credit for it, if not any money. I mean, if you you have the shot, you know, you're going to be on the front page of every newspaper, and that's a a lot more interesting than making that 9-11 shot. Was that Joe McNally's? Yeah. Yeah, but would would you be on, would your... If your image made it to the front page of every newspaper, would it have the tagline "Photo from Twitter" or would it be "Photo no, from Doug no. K"? No, oh, it'd be Doug K. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just saying. They, uh, no, they can't. They can't do that. They used to remember you still own the copyright of that image, so yes, yes. they can't just pick it up just because you put it on Twitter. Unless you put it on Instagram, and then all bets are off, right? That's right. <laughs> That's another show. Twitter. <laughs> We've done that show. We've done. Yes, we have done that show. Yeah, it's interesting, guys. I mean, this is this has been educational because you know it's it's a different world we live in, both on the bad side with these kind of events happening, which it seems to be more and more frequently, but on the bright side, technology is increasing so that the the speed that these kind the people that do these things is unprecedented. What less than a week to catch these two guys, right? So that's amazing, and the technology that we have at our fingertips, all these amazing tools to document it. And they're at consumer price levels now. So it's when, not- the, when the FBI put that video up online of those guys, mm-hmm. I said to my wife, I said, two hours. They're going to have names in two hours. Really? Well, really? I mean, just, just think about the number of people and the sort of the crowdsourcing effort to, to yeah. identify them. I mean, you there's just... That's no, just amazing. Yeah, but I, I and I think that you know law enforcement is going to be taking a good look at this as you know what they can do in the future for all sorts of things. Yeah, crowdsourcing. I was watching this documentary um, earlier today on YouTube, and it was talking. Forget the name of it. I'll see if I can find it, and we can include it in the show. But the on the show notes page. But the gist was there was this experiment that the school ran to. Uh, see how well the cloud or the or crowdsourcing worked. So essentially, what the experiment was, they took I think it was five red, large red helium balloons and placed them at strategic locations around the planet. Like one was in Union Square, one was in Red Square. One, you know, they're all over the planet, and they were they were there for a week, just sort of hanging there, obviously waving in the wind. And the 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 task for the students was, or the task was find all five balloons using the clouds. And mm. they did. And they found, I think it was two, less than two days, they found all five of them by using social media and saying, hey, have you seen those? Have you seen them? 
You know, so those red balloons. When I was watching that, I was like, "Those are terrorists." You know, <laughs> right there. Right. You know, it's uh, it's using the crowd to self-police. So amazing. As long as you don't, you know, people don't find a way to use it for evil, we'll be good. All right, uh, let's move on to the next story. The next one is a little bit more lighthearted. It's about the Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby. So, like I said at the top of the show, they have banned all interchangeable lenses. Basically, you bring your point-and-shoot or your iPad or Android phone to the Derby this year. Well, you can bring, you can bring your point-and-shoot, your iPad or your Android or anything else like that. But if you bring an interchangeable lens camera, a DSLR, then you're out of luck. They don't want any of those in there. So if I show up with my brand new Fuji X100 <laughs> versus the OMD from Olympus, I could actually take photos with one camera over the other. That's was this the story that was that, that caused you to tip in that direction? No. Oh, in case I, I go to the Kentucky Derby. It just occurred to me just now that this is not an interchangeable lens. So wherever those interchangeable lens cameras are banned, I will be free to roam. How about I should that? ban those hats first, but... <laughs> So let's talk about this story a little bit. So, Dan, let's let's talk. You you take it first. Is this you know? I don't know. Is this just a, is this just an i the whole idea of not understanding technology in general and and living in the past where all the SLRs were? I only think there's one of two reasons behind it, and it reminds me back in the day when all the you know you couldn't have a tripod. You, uh-huh. know, you could still bring your camera, but you can't set up a tripod because that's how a terrorist is going to do it. That's not back um, in the day. That's still today. Dude. I know. It's just, a lot of places. So, I mean, perhaps they think that a big camera like that with interchangeable lenses can be used as a weapon. Maybe they saw too many movies. Um, or the other thing is that maybe it's like our schools. All these schools have contracts with big, huge, massive national photography chains that have strict contracts on you cannot take pictures, you cannot do this, you cannot bring your camera, no flash, because they want you to buy their DVDs and their pictures. Right. Right. So, well, the 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 uh, the rule goes on to say, or the guidelines go on to say that they prohibit any camera that has a lens longer than six inches, kind of like that mic you have there. Um, tripods and camcorders are all banned. So you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is it this sort of stuff? Just it sort of is beginning to increasingly to get under my fingernails. You know that 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 this kind of Ignorant banning of things is going on. You know, it's which, not a private lead, event. It's going to lead into this next story too. But yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? I would say it's not a private event. You know that I can understand. You know, you want the, the. I can't see how this can help them. This is only going to. You know, people go take videos of this. They take photos. They put it on their Facebook page. For instance, you know, just a comparison. We'll get somebody here. We're doing a shoot, and they pop out their iPhone and they take a picture in our studio while we're shooting. And I know a lot of photographers who get all upset about that. And you can't take photos in here. What are they going to do with an iPhone photo? They're here. They're paying us to shoot high-res quality photos. Of course, take it with your iPhone because they're going to post it on Facebook because they're so excited and say, here, look, we're getting our shoot done, you know, over by Dan and, and at Babylon Gallery. And that's just great marketing. Let people network. And I would imagine on a larger scale, that would be good for a place like Churchill Grounds. But yeah. don't know what the reasoning is behind it other than – you know, maybe in the copyright, like we're going to talk about next. Yeah. So maybe Doug's got some insights. Doug, insight on this? You know, you... Well, I know I, I looked at the story. You know, we we've we've linked to it on Petapixel, and the the comment is that this is for security reasons. After they consulted several law enforcement agencies, <laughs> and I just 
uh, I don't get it. I got to say, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I don't get they, it either. I don't because, get it. Is, are they worried about, usually they don't like people taking pictures because they think that they are using them to, uh, you know, plan some kind of terrorist activity. Right, they're they're what's the or word? they have a blanket copyright and they're selling rights, like the Olympics banned photography or tried to ban. Well, but these guys said security, so I assume that yeah. wasn't the case. It's strange, you know. If it's a copyright issue, uh, then I think you know Dan's point is good. You know, I mean, if you've ever tried to shoot horse racing, have you ever done yeah. it? It's no, really really hard. Yeah, and you're not going to do it for the stands too well either. No, no, you've got to get down. You got to be in the turns. Yeah. You know, and you've got a, you know, you've got seconds to get a shot. I mean, it just you have no time at all. If you don't get it, forget it. It's done. It's what uh, it's what continuous high was invented for, right? It's it, yeah, absolutely. And even then, it's really hard to get a shot. I've done it. I was at Golden Gate Fields just uh, in September, I think. What's yeah, what's not, hard about it? Other than no, other than just the duration that you have to get the good shot, is it? Picking a fast enough shutter speed, panning with the horse. What what what's so? Well, hard part of the problem is you don't get to compose a shot until they're there. Okay. Right? Because you, it's hard to judge the size of the horses in the frame. Um, you don't know how they're going to be quite staggered. You know, you might have a horse on the outside that actually blocks the leader, depending on where you are. And, you know, I shot with a D3S. I had nine frames a second, and I sort of got one that was okay. And we had out of, out of how many? Well, you know, I probably shot you know bursts of ten or twelve frames. That's really all you get. Yeah. And I get a second, but. Um, and there are you know multiple races during the day, but Dan's right. You don't shoot it from the stands. You've got to be in a good position. And of course, the, the way I'm shooting, it was it was backlit, so it was really the, the horses are mostly dark, and you're shooting into the backlight, and it's just it's tough. It's tough. Anyway, the the point is that Dan's right. You're not going to shoot get in from the stands. I don't know what they're worried about. I can't imagine why it's a security problem because, you know, um, you know the guys who you know bombed the Boston Marathon didn't bring cameras with them right you know that wasn't the issue yeah yeah I mean over the over the next several years all this stuff is going to continue to heat up because you know a couple shows back we were talking about drone photography right so what happens when you know Uh when those things start literally and figuratively taking off right so it's uh, it's gonna be I can understand world. if there's some kind of uh, weapon inside a 300 millimeter lens, you know, something out of the movies like that where it's not really a camera at all. Yeah, but or, you could do that. You could go buy a, you know, a, a high end coach purse and put a gun in it. Sure can, yeah. A whole maybe, lot, you know. Now they're gonna ban all purses over a certain size. Have yeah. an X-ray when you come in, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So know? I don't know. It's all moot. It's. I'm uh, not going there anyway, so don't worry. Yeah, but I'll I'll have my Fuji, so it's all good. Good. <laughs> All right. The next story is about copyright as well. So the the artist Beyonce, Jay Z's girl, has announced to photographers. So basically, let me read this to you. It says, after a series of unflattering images of Beyonce in a concert went viral, um, beginning with several shots from her Super Bowl uh, performance, she took matters into her own quite lovely hands and has banned professional photographers from her concerts. So. We've talked about Lady Gaga, uh, what was it, a year or so ago, and how Lady Gaga basically said, yeah, I own all the rights in the bubble of where my concert is of all the images. Uh, now Beyonce is taking it a step further and saying, you know what, no, don't take any more shots of me. If you can't, if you can't behave, then don't, t- don't take any shots at all. So, Doug, your thoughts. 
Well, that's the Lady Gaga story we've done, haven't we? Did yes. do that once before. We, we won't go we there. Did, we did the Gaga. You know, she says she's banning the pros, which means the amateurs are going to get all the ugly pictures ever, which means they're even more likely to get put on Twitter. You, you know, this is somebody, I don't know if it was a comment on our blog post or somewhere. Anyway, I read a comment that I think had it right, which is she would have done much better to embrace the ugly pictures. And to and to say, you know, all right, they're ugly pictures of me making ugly faces and ugly gestures and you know, and gone with it. I think she just from a PR perspective, uh, from a fan perspective, she would have been better off because those pictures are gonna get out no matter what. If yeah. you if you don't let the pros take the pictures, somebody's gonna take the pictures. It's an exercise in how to start a meme. Right. Yep. Yeah. You know, say this picture, I'm going to try to ban this picture because, you know, it doesn't look right. And people with Photoshop will take that photo. The, and the, the, the one thing things. about the one thing about social media is you can't fight the crowd. You can't fight the crowd. It's a wave. Dan, what about you looking at yeah. this? No, what, I agree. With, I agree with Doug for sure. And, you know, yeah, she should have embraced it, had some fun with it, made some fun of herself if they were unflattered. I don't remember seeing any. Number two, wear something other than those tight whatever they are that don't really fit right, that yeah. might help. Um, <laughs> wow. You, Dan, Dan Ablin, is, this, is, this is a momentous moment. Dan Ablin is in a hangout giving Beyonce fashion yes, advice. I'm fascinated. advice it's with his little... giant mic hanging there in the frame. <laughs> All right, so. Um, that's just easy. Yeah, so she should, you know, but I mean, you know, if that's unflattering, that's one thing, but. She's still getting millions for the beauty ads. You know, nobody's not saying, nobody has said she's, these are unflattering except her. Right. All that's going to do now is pay, uh, give more attention to this. And now I think we're going to see even more unflattering pictures, people trying to do this. And I bet there's already websites set up. Um, Thirdly, that's just, you know what? You're in this business. And they were talking about on today's show this morning, as a matter of fact, this is just the nature of the beast. You're out there. You're putting yourself out there doing this. It's 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 just part of the job. Exactly. Part of life. It's called you know? celebrity, right? It's cool. yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. yeah I'll tell you. Um, this is timely for me because last night I got a chance to go to a Prince concert. He was here. Oh, in, cool. he, he's here tonight. He's here for two nights. Uh, last night and tonight. Uh, for four shows, and I remember going in there with the other cattle, right? Uh, me and some friends of mine. We go in there, and they're like. As you pass the thre- threshold to go in, being very clear about if you take any kind of image, any kind of photography mm-hmm. in there, you will be ejected with no refund. And these are two hundred fifty dollars tickets, right? So you, so, so basically, everyone's like, I don't even want to look at my, to see if I got a text message. I'm going to leave my phone in my pocket, or else I'm going to be on the curb outside this. Uh, the, well, you know that road. when we were at the Vatican, um, we were allowed to take pictures everywhere. Yeah. When you got into the Sistine Chapel, not only could you not talk, very, very strict about photography, which I can understand people republishing things, especially with today's technology. Yeah. Part of it was flash. They don't want any flash going off because it actually degrades the paintings because they just got restored. And, um, but they said, not only can you not take photos, if we catch you, we're taking your camera. Hmm. By entering here, we have this right. We have the right. So you, so you agree that your camera can be confiscated? I did not. I did not. You know, I'll I'll sneak a shot whenever I can. Don't pick pictures. Okay, sure. Click. You know, but this no. They were they were hardcore, and the guys were walking around in the uh, in the crowds, just ready. You to know, what I was them. thinking last night as I was watching this concert. I was I was thinking, 
this would be an excellent opportunity for some Google Glasses. <laughs> that would have been perfect. I could have live streamed the entire concert, you know. Not from, shipping for a year now. Middle. Yeah, I know. But you need glasses that you can't tell that they're Google Glasses. Right now, they look like Google Glasses. You need the ones that, you know, that are built into your regular frames, right, Doug? Yep, that would do it. Yeah, that'd be done. If they're on the glasses that you have on now, see, I can barely see those glasses. If they're on yeah. there, done. Right yeah. there. There it is. There it is. Yep. Looking yep. at you right now. So, hey, and that will change everything because then you'd be able to go to a Beyonce concert and mm-hmm. film the whole thing. You'd be able to go to Lady Gaga. You'd be able to go to sit on the side at the Kentucky Derby and get images and stream go. it to the world. Now what? Now yeah, what you, you know, going to do? There's you a good know? point. A good point of that is that, you know, five years from now, maybe a little longer, this is – this is going to be the fact of life, mm-hmm. yeah. and so we're we're only dealing with a temporary phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, yeah, I'm interested to see how they'd actually police this if if the Google glasses take off. You know, granted, not everyone will be able to afford them, but they're only going to be what only fifteen hundred dollars or twelve hundred dollars. But that's the that's the camera I just bought, right? So right. you put those things on, and now you're liberated. You could go wander around the Sistine Chapel or the Vatican or whatever, have yeah, a conversation absolutely. with the Pope, you know, that's and an record issue. the whole thing. Okay, guys, before we continue with this episode of TWIP, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. You can choose from over 20 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. And Shutterstock sources images from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. Many contributors to Shutterstock are professional photographers themselves. And Shutterstock reviews each image individually for content and quality before adding them to their library. Shutterstock adds 10,000 images each and every day. So every time you visit, you're sure to find something new. And Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level, and they make it easy. They give you sophisticated tools so you can search and drill down by subject, asset type, gender, emotion, color, and more. And as you find the art assets you're looking for, you can save them to a lightbox gallery. Then access those selections at any time or share them with other people that are involved in that particular project. And Shutterstock, Shutterstock is a complete offering. They offer an award-winning iPad app so you can search on the go and display images during presentations. They've got excellent customer service with dedicated 24-hour support throughout the week. And they've got flexible pricing. You can choose individual image packs or a monthly subscription. And you can download any image in any size and pay only one price. In fact, I was looking for some interesting images for a project I'm working on in Shutterstock. And basically, I just needed an image of a woman holding an iPad for a presentation that I was giving on the the sort of the growing usage of mobile devices and how those devices are surpassing usage of traditional computers for, you know, younger people and pretty much everybody basically. So, I needed that image to, to throw in my presentation. So what did I do first? I went and searched the web, and I saw lots of great images. And I said, well, you know what? Um, I should probably get a do it the right way and go to Shutterstock. So I went to Shutterstock, did a search, found the perfect image on this first page of results, bought the image, downloaded it, 
and put it, dragged it into my presentation. I didn't even need to do any image color correcting or anything on it. It was already perfectly balanced. It was just ready for me to drop in there, put it in there, and kept going. All this happened in about five minutes, so it was perfect. So Shutterstock was amazing for that. And you know, if you want to try Shutterstock out, you can head over to Shutterstock.com, sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can just start an account and start using Shutterstock to help you sort of conceptualize what your next project could look like and then save the assets you find to a, to a light box. And then if you decide to purchase, you can just use the offer code TWIP4 and new accounts will receive 30% off any package, a full 30% off. That's Shutterstock.com and you'll get 30% off new accounts. Just use the offer code TWIP4 and Shutterstock, thank you for supporting This Week in Photo. All right, guys, let's jump into uh, some listener Q&A here. This is a segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. And question number one is from Luke Emerson. He writes, I'm 17 years old and I live in England. This May, my uncle wants me to be his wedding photographer. I'm an amateur photographer studying uh, photography at school. He says, all I have is my Lumix GX or G3 mirrorless camera, and it's all I could afford at the time. When he purchased it, he's wondering, what do you think he should do? Ablin, throw it to you first. What should Luke Emerson do if he only has only a Lumix G3? I think he can do just fine with that. Um, don't compress the images. Shoot as high as quality as you can. Get a ton of storage. Practice a little bit. Um, and you know what? <laughs> Go back to, uh, you know, maybe it's photojournalism day and just put it on automatic if you're not sure because you cannot redo those images. Don't try and be creative if you're uncomfortable. Um, and then steps me into... For people that, you know, I, yeah, every wedding's different. Our wedding, we had uh, 425 people. So right. um, some weddings might be 20 people. And in that case, it might be okay. So we don't know the size of this wedding. But I do know there are a lot of people thinking, hey, my son or my niece or my daughter is in photography school, and I can save all this money by getting them to shoot the wedding. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that. I think it's Uncle Bob. It's the Uncle Bob fans. effect, right? What's that? It's the Uncle Bob effect. Uncle Bob has yeah. got this new camera. He could shoot yeah. it. Why should we pay, you know, Ablin Gallery X dollars to shoot right. it? Uncle Bob can do it. Yeah, yeah it's too important an event to have. Uh, you know, we got an email recently from a cousin just about that same thing. Oh, uh, do you know any photography students that can shoot our wedding that want exposure? Um, want some, want some <laughs> that's, experience? That's exposure. Yeah, I'll pay you an experience. Yeah, yeah I, I pay all my bills with exposure. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's all I would say. Just practice. I think the, the, if that's all he has, that should be fine. Um, he's just going to have to do the manual foot zoom, you know, yeah. in and out. Just nothing, so one, one nothing, thing, nothing wrong One thing it. that you said at the top of that was um, practice. So that, yeah. that would be part of my advice to Luke is if, you, if you're restricted on having, you know, and I, I quote fingers around restricted, um, on your gear to, for, to cover this event, go to the venue and practice there yeah. during the it time of day light. when this is going to be going on. You know, if you have some some time ahead of time, go in there and shoot around and kind of get your eye around what's there, how the light's going to be, where you might position people to get the best light. And then when you go back and there's actual people there, you'll seem like a superhero with, yep. you know, a sixth sense because you know where you want to be. And go at the same time of day that the wedding would be. Exactly. Yeah. Same time of day. Perfect. All right, Doug, you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, my comments would have been just the same except for, a couple of things. One, it depends. This is a daytime wedding or an indoor 
dark wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the Lumix G3 is going to be a fine camera for him. The most important thing is to be comfortable with that camera. You don't want to have a new camera. You don't want to rent a camera. Although his uncle could pay for a rental lens. I don't, I don't know what lenses the guy has, but if I was going to shoot a wed- wedding, I'd probably want to get some faster glass mm. and, uh, uh, you know, Cheap uncle ought to pony up for a rental lens, but <laughs> but you gotta you gotta use a camera you're really familiar with and that you can uh, shoot without having to think about it. Or Luke, I would suggest, hey, go lay the guilt trip on your uncle and have him buy you some gear to shoot this wedding with, and that's you your know, payment. Site site prices go. from from you know working wedding photographers as your benchmark and say, you know what, you normally would be paying twenty five grand for this. All you got to do is buy me a fifteen hundred dollar kit, and we're good. Right? How about yeah. That? <laughs> buy buy the new camera, but but Luke should show up with the old one because it's the one he knows. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, exactly. thanks, thanks, Uncle Bob, for the camera. I left it at home. <laughs> yep. Thanks for the gift. I'll use it on I'll use it on your next wedding. <laughs> All right. Question number two is from Sean um, Highfill, and he writes. I just got a Nikon D5100, and I was reading the manual against my better judgment, and it says not to turn off. Or not to turn off the, not to take the lens or turn off the camera with the VR turned on. So uh, don't turn the camera off or remove the lens with VR turned on. How bad is it, bad is it to do this, Doug? What do you think? You know, I saw this and I said, "What the heck is this all about?" I never so heard I, that. So I, 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 I did the right thing. I downloaded the D5100 manual. Yes. And sure enough, it says. I'll read it to you. Do not turn the camera off or remove the lens while vibration reduction is in effect. Blah, 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 blah. So then I looked at my other Nikon manuals because I've got a lot of Nikon cameras. Mm -hmm. And some of the newer ones, like the 600, said something similar but not quite the same. But I thought about this. And then I played with the camera. I took out the 600. I took out the 800, and I played with them. I think... They're talking about not whether the VR is turned on, but whether it's actually active at the moment. So if you have, you know, the VR only comes on when you hold the shutter release down halfway. If you do that, I tried that. I held it down halfway and I disconnected the lens. And sure enough, if you do that, the lens is in a funny state where it sort of of rattles inside. And it makes this rattling noise. Works, it works fine when you put it back. But, but I think this is something he doesn't need to worry about because I don't know any photographer out there who turns off his VR before removing the lens. Maybe Dan, I've but... I've never done that, and I could <laughs> that now. I've yeah. never, ever turned up... In fact, I leave it on all yeah. the time on, the, on my uh, 7200. is always on. So, um, so maybe, I don't think you have I'm to worry about anything. But, but at least it's, it was an interesting question because it caused me to go out and figure out what the heck this is all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's your advice is to uh, Sean? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Dan, do you do you concur or should he Absolutely, yeah. No, I've never even heard of that before. Um frankly, to be honest, I don't think VR does anything. Um it yeah, only maybe... does something. So you <laughs> Dan, get hate Dan, mail for that. That's because that's because you went to Italy with a twenty four to seventy that doesn't exactly. have VR. And you're well, a portrait maybe... you're a portrait shooter, so why yeah. would you need VR anyway? You know? Yeah, no, that's my why. seven my seven thousand doesn't have it either. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I can imagine that. Just you know, these lenses are very electronic today. Uh, you know that. You know that's that's two comments in this show, right, Dan? So the first one, giving Beyonce fashion advice. The second one, <laughs> VR doesn't do anything anyway. I don't... <laughs> 
Who needs oh. that VR stuff? Who needs the extra two hey, stops? I'm certified. I can say that now. We're getting yeah. we're, we're we're getting mail already. I can just smell it. Oh, I'm feeling it. Damn. I'm just trying to lighten the load. Share your email address so people can. No, I'm kidding. All right, cool. Fair. So so the unanimous thought is well, we don't. Maybe we should get someone from Nikon to address this specifically. But from our lay our layperson's consumer view, um, and after having shot Nikon cameras since you know uh, many years ago. It hasn't messed with any of my images or any of my cameras to leave it on, so I'm I'm not changing. So I would suggest Sean maybe contact Nikon and ask them is it is it voiding your warranty or damaging or something like that. But we don't turn ours off. It is interesting that I checked four Nikon manuals and it's the only one that says the same thing. Just that particular yeah. body? Uh, yeah, the 5100. I just sold that camera. Yeah, I had you that. Just one. Sold it? Yeah. Oh, would you get it for it? Uh, I I want it. <laughs> I want it in a rangefinder magazine contest. Wait, 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 wait! You just sold the camera, or you just wait? Was it fifty one hundred? Yeah, I sold it. You sold it. it. A... Yeah. Yeah, and how much did you? What was the price? I'm not gonna say. That's not. Why that's not? People can go to eBay and look it up right now. Who cares? I'm pretty sure it was uh four sixty is what it was going for. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Is that right? Is that the? 50... I don't know. Well, sounds good to me. So, all right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one. All right, all right. Let's move on. Um, we're almost at the end of the show here, so let's jump into the picks of the week segment. This is where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the listeners, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Doug, uh, I got tired of carrying around a tripod, a heavy tripod, on my shoulder, and in particularly holding on to it when it was cold. So I bought and love these tripod leg covers from lenscoat.com. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not expensive. They're nicely made. They're, they're sort of foam rubber, the kind you use to wrap some plumbing. And then around that, they have uh, sort of a nylon cover. Very well made. Um, they attach with a little bit of adhesive strips. They don't slide around. But check out tripod leg covers. I think you'll like them. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I have some. Let me show you. If you I got the camouflage ones? I got the camouflage ones. I got yeah. the black. I got the black ones. Look at that, right here. See that? Same. Is, oh, it, nice. is that from the same company? Lenscope. Um, no, these are actually from Gitso. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're I'm directly sure you, from Gitso. I'm sure you paid more. Probably, but I bought those. I don't. I can't <laughs> tell you what I paid for those, but I bought them. Geez, I had, they've been on that tripod since I got the tripod, and it's about seven years old, maybe more. So yeah, they last forever. Save your shoulder. Yeah, it does, especially when you're hiking and all that kind of stuff. Cool. All right. Awesome. So, Dan, what's your uh, what's your pick of the week? Uh, I found this thing just this week called Pass, and it's uh, Pass.us, and it's just a different way to shoot and share your photos. Um, one of you know our our photography website doesn't have online viewing, so I would always just build some HTML or use some third party. But this one's actually really nice. Full HTML5, I believe. Um, any device, anywhere. It's just very social, very connected and very interactive and current. So um, so check that out, pass.us, just a, a new way to share your photos. Awesome, pass.us. All right, and speaking of sharing your photos, my pick of the week is a free WordPress plugin. It's called Cell Media, Cell, S-E-L-L Media, um, courtesy one of our listeners, Mr. Brent uh, Berzicki. I always butcher, sorry, Brent, I know I'm butchering your name. Uh, Berzicki, B-U-R-Z-Y-C-K-I. That's... Um, but anyway, he sent this over. Actually, he put it in the TWIP 
Google Plus hang or the the community over there. And what this plugin does is essentially turn your website into it enables commerce on your site, so you can sell media, right? So you can sell PDFs, you can sell your images, you can sell licenses to your images, all that kind of stuff on your existing WordPress website. You just install this plugin and run, and the plugin is free. So their site is really, really nice too. It's uh, they they've done a good job in sort of laying it out and putting lots of walkthrough videos on how everything works and all that in there. So definitely check it out. It is uh, it's a graphpaperpress.com. Graphpaperpress. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So yeah, you can get it. For, and graphpaperpress also, if you're a WordPress fiend, they make some really amazing things over there too. Yeah, they do. Yep. Definitely check them out. That's my pick of the week. All right, guys, we're at the end of another episode. Where can people go to stay connected with you, Mr. Doug K? Uh, you can find me at DougK.com. That's my portfolio site. Or find me on Google+. Awesome. And that, in that uh, review of the Sony NEX6 versus NEX7? You know, I'm just putting that link on the show notes as we speak. Okay, cool. Yeah, It'll be there. Read that. Yeah. Did you ever do a Did you ever do a X100s review, or did you just review the X100? Not a, just the X100 and the X1 Pro. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Check that out too. Okay. All right, Mr. Dan Ablin, where can people go to check you out? Uh, portfolio site for the studio is ablingallery.com. A B L A N, and then uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Google all just D A N A B L A N. All right, thanks, guys. And if listeners, you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And also, please join our community on Google+. And uh, we, what we were doing before on, this, uh, on the show was we're doing this critique of the week segment where we pick an image from our critique section in the Hangout and then critique it live in the Hangout. Um, that, that works if you're watching this or if you watch the YouTube video, but it turns out the other thousands and thousands of people that listen to the show through audio, not so much. It's kind of hard to visualize what we're talking about while you're driving or cutting the lawn or whatever. So what we're planning to do is we're going to reintroduce the Critique of the Week as a separate hangout um, that's decoupled from the show itself. So if you want to watch it, you can go watch it on our YouTube channel or on our site, uh, and it won't be imported or incorporated into the actual show itself. So that will be coming soon. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my personal website, which is frederickvan.com, or my company, which is mediabytes, with a Y, dot com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 